I'd like to share an illustration I think I've shared here before. It's been a little while, but I think it bears repeating. Many years ago, D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey were holding a revival series in London, England. They were having services in the afternoon. They were having services in the evening, and large crowds were coming to this revival series. And But Moody found out something that disturbed him greatly. The ushers were turning a certain group of people away, and that was the gypsies. The gypsies were known to be thieves. And this bothered him so much that he turned to Ira and he said, Ira, I know what let's do. Let's put the revival series today in the hands of someone else. And let's go out and have a special service for the gypsies for them alone. And so that's what they did. Moody and Ira went to Epping Forest and found the gypsies and Sankey sang and Moody preached and the gypsies marveled that there were two men that left the afternoon service in other people's hands and came and had a service exclusively for them. As they were ready to leave and go back to the evening service, there was a 15-year-old boy that was standing there beside the coach and Sankey felt impressed that he should pray for this boy. And his prayer went something like this. Lord, I don't know if this boy is saved or not, but please save this boy. And I don't know what you have for his future, but please make this boy a preacher. And then he said, Amen. And they left. They went back to the evening service. And years passed. And a man came to New York City sometime later, and he questioned, is Ira Sankey, is he still living? And they said, yes, he's living in Brooklyn. And so the man went to Brooklyn, and he told Ira, he said, he asked him, do you remember your prayer? And Sankey said, yes, I remember that prayer. And he said, well, the boy was saved, and the boy did become a preacher. His name was Gypsy Smith. And he preached in America for 50 years. Someone who heard Sankey, I'm sorry, someone who heard Gypsy Smith preach 50 years later said that, well, you preach with just as much fire and vigor as you did when you first started preaching. What's your secret? Gypsy Smith responded, Sir, I have never lost the wonder of it all. And brothers and sisters, we have council meeting and communion twice a year, year after year after year. How do we make it special? How do we not lose the wonder of it all? I hope we don't. And we have gathered here again today to remember the wonder of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. I hope we don't take this service for granted. The title of the message this morning is Behold the Lamb of God. For a text, I would invite you to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 29. i read several verses here. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. 
down to verses 32 to 36. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. I hope that's what we're doing this morning. Behold the Lamb of God and what he's done for you, what he's done for me. You know, in the Old Testament, year after year, thousands upon thousands of animals were killed and rivers of blood were shed. For what purpose? That the blood would only cover the sins of the people until the next year. Guilt and remorse for sin was never taken away, but it pointed forward to the perfect Lamb of God. And I was blessed as I thought this morning when Jesus died, the veil in the temple was rent. And I did a little checking. I don't think that there is something that you'll find in the scripture that would say how, how thick the, temple, um, the, the veil in the temple was. But I understand from Josephus that Josephus said the veil in the temple was four inches thick, was a hand breadth, and two horses could not pull it apart. But the veil in the temple was rent. Rent in two. I think it was 60 feet tall and 30 feet wide or vice versa, but it was 60 by 30. And when Jesus died, the veil in the temple was rent. Right down the middle. Behold the Father. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away. The sin was not just covered. The sin was taken away. Behold the Lamb of God. And what happened when that veil was rent? I'm blessed by what we read in Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. What's the blessing for you and me? Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. I'd like to consider... The first point of the message, the Old Testament type and shadow. Turn with me, if you would, to Numbers chapter 21. And
And you know this account well. Numbers chapter 21, I'd like to read verses 4 to 9. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Eden. And the voice and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loath us, or we hate this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, and we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass... He lived. You know this story well, how the children of Israel, they were much discouraged because of the difficulties in their journey. And verse 4, they complained against their protector, they complained against God, and they complained against their leader. And isn't it interesting that God had delivered the children of Israel from their bondage in Egypt? And he revealed to himself, he revealed himself to them every day by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And you know, one time they were complaining because they didn't have anything to eat. They wanted meat to eat, and God sent meat, a month's supply, and dropped it in around their tents. They were thirsty, and God provided water out of a rock. He provided miracle food every morning for them. He manifested his power and his blessing to them. But in this passage, they say, we, we detest this miserable food. Really, that was a slap in God's face. And what was the result? God sent punishment for their complaining. And he sent venomous snakes among the people. And they bit the people, and many Israelites died. But to their credit, they went to Moses and they acknowledged and they repented of their sins and they pled for mercy. Once again, God made provision for his people. And the provision was only effective to those who believed in the remedy. And in essence, Moses proclaimed, Behold the remedy that God has provided for you. Behold and live. Look at the serpent. Behold and live. And I submit to you, brothers and sisters, were we not in the very same condition as the children of Israel? Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God for the remedy. 
for sin is still available for mankind. Behold the Lamb of God. I said it's a type and shadow. John chapter 3 verses 14 to 16. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Behold, the Lamb. Second point of the message, I'd like to consider briefly Jesus' physical suffering and some of the emotional suffering that he went through. Now, you and I are very familiar with the horrible physical treatment Jesus experienced at the crucifixion. Brother Claire, I listened to your message again. The last communion service we had, Brother Claire very aptly talked about the scourging and how the whipping was... Undescribable, I think he said. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. You know the story well, the tremendous, the horrible physical experience Jesus had there in the garden and the crucifixion. And you know how Jesus agonized there in the garden. He said, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus surrendered his will to the will of his Father. What a beautiful surrender. That was some of the physical things that we talked about, but I'd like to consider another part of the emotional suffering that our Lord experienced, and that is the word rejection. I believe one of the greatest injustices and one of the greatest injuries known to mankind is rejection. I read the story some time ago of a Muslim girl who was rejected by her father. She became so desperate for his acceptance and so desperate for his love that she accepted an assignment as a suicide bomber. Why? So she could be accepted by her father. And I don't think she carried that out because she became a Christian and things changed for her. But she was so desperate, she was willing to die because she did not have her father's love and acceptance. She was willing to go great lengths. Many people are willing to go great lengths to receive the love, the acceptance of their fathers. Why don't I bring in about rejection? Because Jesus suffered a lot of rejection. John chapter 1 verses 10 and 11 says this. John chapter 1 verses 10 and 11. There was, he was in the world speaking of Jesus and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. Referring to some of the verses there in the, the very few, first few verses in John 1. Notice verse 11. And he came unto his own and his own received him not. Rejection experienced by our Lord. Matthew 23, verses 37 and 38. Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 and 38. 
O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chicks under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And I say, how sad. Jesus experienced a lot of rejection. Another one I thought of is John chapter 8. This is the account of the woman taken in adultery at the end of that. John chapter 8, verses 39 to 41. They answered and said unto him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said unto him, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. And what did they throw in his face? Verse 41, Jesus said, You do the deeds of your father. And they said unto him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. They were not accepting him. Jesus, behold the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. They would not accept him as the Messiah. And they said he was born of fornication. Horrible rejection. The religious leaders and many of the people, they rejected Jesus and they desired that Barabbas would be delivered unto them. And we read in verse 30, um, I, don't, I don't have that, um, that was part of the physical experience that Jesus had when the Roman soldiers, they spit in his face. But when the children of Israel and his own people did not accept him and he was rejected, I almost feel like that was worse than the spitting in his face by the Roman soldiers. He was rejected by his own people. The third point of the message is mercy extended. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Maybe not a verse that we generally think when we're having a communion service. But I think it applies. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, how? By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. How often do we think about the mercies of God? His mercy to us. The NIV would read this way. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. How could Paul say this? Paul said these words to remember the mercy of God. Well, isn't it true that Paul experienced it? I'd like to consider three people who experienced mercy that they probably was not expecting. I'd like to consider the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. Read through this fairly quickly. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, 
Why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Paul wrecked havoc on the church, threw many men and women into jail, and and was consenting when they were when they were killed. Thinking about Stephen. But notice what verse fifteen says. Think of all the bad and the things that Paul had done. Then he has this Damascus Road experience, and then verse fifteen, God told Ananias, but the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he, Paul, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. No wonder he could say there in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Paul had experienced that tremendous love and mercy in his experience. And he encourages you and I to think of it as well. I'd like to turn back. Briefly to that account in John chapter 8, thinking once again of someone who experienced mercy who probably was not expecting it. John chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, you know the account. They said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? And I guess I believe that these religious leaders very likely had stones in their hands ready to carry out. If Jesus would have said, you're exactly right, the law says, Moses said that she's to be stoned. And I think that's what that woman was expecting. You can almost see the woman there in front of the people with her head down just expecting the stones to fly and she'd lose her life because she was guilty. Look at verse 11. Verse 10. And Jesus lifted himself and and saw none but the woman and said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Can you imagine this woman expecting death? She was given life, a new chance, just like you and I have been given. I can't understand, I don't understand, I wouldn't understand the depth of a love for this woman, for her Lord, who gave her life, who gave her another opportunity. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27, verses 17 to 20. I'd like to think briefly of Barabbas. Matthew 27, verses 17 to 20. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he, set, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. 
The governor answered and said unto them, Whither of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do with Jesus which is called Christ? They say unto him, Let him be crucified. Let his blood be on us and our children. Let's go to verses 25 and 26. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Brothers and sisters, I don't know that we're told the story of Barabbas. But I don't see Barabbas going down to the local Arby's and getting a ham sandwich with cheese and said, well, you know, I was out today and I got released. Uh, there was some man named Jesus that they took in my place. And uh, I wish I knew the story, the rest of the story. I wish I knew what happened to Barabbas. Barabbas, I believe, was probably expecting to be killed. And yet he was released because of Jesus. The Bible says, no, I'm sorry. This is not a quote from the Bible, but we hear the quote sometimes. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Jesus gave his blood, and I really would have loved to know what was the end story of Barabbas. I believe it was more than just a mundane thing to him. Jesus died and Barabbas lived. I don't know the end of the story. I'd like to consider from Luke chapter 22, the 13th disciple. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 and 15. And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles were with him. And he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I like to think of the thirteenth disciple as you and me. Jesus desired to share this cup with them. He desired to share the bread with them. Verses 17 to 20. And he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and he gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. It's, a, it's amazing for me to think that Jesus took the bread, Jesus took the cup, and he gave thanks. For the disciples, it would be something that they could share with their Lord. But Jesus, when he gave thanks, he was giving thanks that his body could be broken. He gave thanks that he could shed his blood for his disciples, for you and me, the 13th disciple. And I would 
We could turn also to John chapter 13, but Brother Elam, I'm going to stay out of there. Brother Elam's going to share here shortly on the feet washing meditation, but I'd like us to think Jesus washed the disciples' feet, washed the, the feet of the one who would betray him, the one who would deny him, and all ten would flee. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And I believe if you and I were standing there, or were there, Jesus would desire to wash your feet and wash mine too. I submit to you that we are the 13th disciple. I didn't look at the clock when I got up, and I'm not looking at it now, but I think my time's probably near the end. There's a song that I love. I love the song, but I don't like the theology in the song. And I thought about asking us to sing this song. I don't think we, maybe we don't know it real, real well, but I'll read it. The title of the song is, Who Am I? When I think of how he came from glory, came and dwelt among the lowly, such as I, to suffer pain and such disgrace, on Mount Calvary take my place. So I ask myself this question, Who am I? I love that song, but I don't like the theology. Jesus did not take my place. I think that cheapens Christ's sacrifice, what he did on the cross. If you would ask me, Jay, did Jesus die for you? I'd say absolutely. Praise God he did. But Jesus did not take my place. He was the only one that could take that place because he was the sinless sacrifice. He was the only one. And maybe if we sang that song, we could say, to suffer pain and such disgrace on Mount Calvary took his place. I think it would be better. And I don't want to be judgmental or hard to get along with. But I hope you understand there was only one sinless Son of God Praise His holy name. He is the one that died for us. Not as a substitute. He was the only one that could take His place. And the chorus goes, Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that He would pray, Not my will, Thine, Lord? The answer I may never know, How He ever loved me so. But to an old rugged cross He'd go, For who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Another song he took my place on Calvary so I won't have to go. Another song just like it. The cross in the middle should have been mine. Once again, it's about substitute. Jesus took his place. The only one that could fill that place of a redeemer. And I hope we say thank you. Praise his holy name. In conclusion... Every one of us have committed sins worthy of judgment and death. We have been brought to the point of a decision. We were brought to the point of decision. And I hope it's, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And because of our faith in Him and His shed blood, in essence, we can hear those words, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. A couple, one of my favorite verses from 2 Corinthians goes like this. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes 
He became poor that ye through his poverty might become rich. Praise his holy name. And if you'll allow me two more verses. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he, or Jesus, was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, is coming back for his bride. Praise his holy name.